0: When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, all of heaven rejoice over you. How great is that? You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at WLBibleChurch.org. Now, here's today's message. Well, again, folks, we are pleased to have our guest speaker with us here today is Brian. He is serving in Asia. Um, Brian, we're delighted to have you with us here uh, today. Brian, would you please welcome Brian, everyone? Well, we're really excited to be back uh, to share a little bit about the work of Bible translation and more specifically what's happening in Malaysia, the little corner of the the world that... uh, My family's been serving in. Last time we were here was over six years ago. Uh, So for those of you who don't remember uh, from back that far or haven't seen us before, met us before, I'll introduce ourselves briefly. Um, My name is Brian. My wife is Tabita. I'm from this area. I grew up in McHenry, uh, so I'm uh, Illinoisan through and through. Um, My wife is Romanian, and God called us to serve in Malaysia. So now we have four kids who don't know how to answer the question, where are you from? (laughs) Uh, As as Pastor Dan mentioned, we do have some materials in the back that you can take a look at after the service. We have these prayer cards. We invite anybody and everyone who wants to take one, take one. It's got a magnet on it. You can stick it on your fridge. When you look at it, say a prayer for us. Um, If you'd like to join our team, uh, you can give us your email address, Uh, sign up to receive our updates and newsletters when we send them out. And if anybody wants to uh, partner with us financially, we're still looking to raise uh, about $2,000 a month in our monthly budget before we can head back to Malaysia. All right, so let's see if I can manage the clicker any better than my dad did. (laughs) So why do we do what we do? Uh, Why do we translate the Bible? So, here we have the words of Jesus, uh, and it sounds something like this. This is, this is very close to the actual words that he spoke in the language or very close to the language that he spoke. Ki kaha elohim et haolam ad asher. Is anybody getting anything from these words? These are the words of Jesus. But uh do you understand? Anybody understand that? No, not really. Okay, well, uh in uh when the New Testament was written, this is the this is the language that they used when they first wrote down the words of Jesus. And how about this? Is this helping anybody? Um yeah, so somebody somebody here can can uh can decipher that, but that's probably not helpful for most of us, right? Because it isn't actually the words themselves that make the word of God, it's the message, it's the content that is the word of God. And it's, that's the, when we say the word of God has power to transform our lives. It's what it means. It's when we understand it that it can go from our head down into our hearts, uh, especially when we understand it in a language that is our own, our mother tongue. So we've been blessed. English, As English speakers were rich, we've actually had translations in the Bible that go all the way back to John Wycliffe in the 1300s, although the English at that time was a little different, and I'm not even completely sure how to read that in a way to pronounce it, how it would have sounded in, uh, in John's time. Thank, thank the Lord that uh, we do have some, some modern, revised versions of this, so uh, this is something a little closer to the English that we speak today. If you can read that, go ahead and read it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. How about that? Did you understand that? Yes. yes. Now, you're very familiar with it, but you know that, that actually has the power to, to go down into your heart. That has the power to transform when you, when you, when you hear it, when you understand it. So now... Uh, on this little place called uh, Bongi Island, Bongi people have the chance to listen to that same verse or read that same verse in their own language. Uh, and this is, this is what it sounds like if, if you want to hear what Bongi sounds like. So, itala migyalulug di Dunyanti Inana si imori ana natunggal, ma aga osio siga fisia di anatna na, nda mbinasa te kap kabiyagadan seledledna. So that is John three sixteen in Bongi, and we have that translated now as of the past couple years. So one more language has can hear those very words of Jesus in a language that means something to them. Thank you. All right, uh, quick geography lessons, and so we don't assume everybody knows where Malaysia is. Uh, Southeast Asia. South of Thailand, connected to Indonesia, that's where Malaysia is. Malaysia is an interesting country. It's got two parts. So it's got peninsula Malaysia, the western part is underneath Thailand. Uh, it's pretty developed, modern world, Kuala Lumpur, the Twin Towers. Singapore is, uh, is right at the tip of that. Um, that's, that's West Malaysia. East Malaysia is about a third of the island of Borneo, one of the largest islands in the world. And the eastern Malaysia is where we are. So I'll zoom in a little bit. Here's Sabah. This is the north part of the island of Borneo. If you want to remember Sabah, think of the dog's head. So I don't know if you can see. It's got the, the, the mouth on the, on, the, on, the, on the right side. Uh, dog ears, those two peninsulas up there on top. Okay, so uh, we basically have two locations. We live in the city in Kota Kinabalu. So that's, the, that's you know, where the brain, I guess, of the dog is. It's the biggest city of Saba. Uh, we've got a house there, and then we travel back and forth between there and Bangi Island, which is the, the, the I don't know, the flea buzzing around the dog's head up at the top there. <laughs> All right, and then when we are traveling back and forth, it takes about three and a half hours with by car to drive from Kota Kinabalu up to the coastal city, and then we hop on a ferry and take that across to Bongi Island. And uh, this is kind of what it looks like. So it's a passenger ferry. So we, everything we want to bring with us for the week or two that we're going to be out in the village, we bring out there, unload a car, put it on the boat. When we get the island, unload it off the boat and hop on the, the vehicle we brought out there. we got a land cruiser out there. And then we, we have uh, teams working in primarily two different villages out there on, on Bongi Island. So that's the... My kids like to ride on top when we let them. All right, the, the Bongi people. These are the people that God has called us to serve, and it's one of those languages that uh, has a few books already on the Gideon app, and hopefully, Lord willing, within a few more years, we'll have many more. Uh, so I'm, I'm representing the Bongi people in my dress. So you can see they have a red shirt or vest is traditional bongy uh, Bongi outfit. The one they made for me is a little bit more elaborate, and I'm not quite doing it right, if you'll notice. So the guys have this uh, sort of skirt. It's really uh, like a glorified loincloth, and, and they're not wearing anything underneath. But I decided not to embarrass you all this morning. <laughs> so that's the, that's the bongi dress. Uh, the bongi are some of the last people that were evangelized in all of Malaysia, The church goes back to the 80s. So the man standing in the middle, he was the Wycliffe Bible translator who worked in the 80s and 90s and helped get the project started, and they got a couple books, three books translated. We're working on a revision of those now. Um, The man to his right is one of the very first Bongi believers. So that man is going to be one of the very first representatives uh, from the Bongi tribe in heaven someday. Uh, when, as that song was, people from every tribe and every tongue are going to be standing around the throne praising God and worshiping in their own language. Uh, His daughter, Tipa, is someone who is part of our translation team. She's one of our mother tongue translators. All right, the bongi are also some of the poorest people in the whole, all of Malaysia. They don't have much in the way of furniture. You go to a bongi house and you share a meal with them, this is what you're going to do. You're going to sit on the floor uh, and get a bowl of rice and whatever else they have with it. So they don't sit around at the table. They sit around in a circle on the floor. Um, there are churches now, which is great. Uh, church, there's a churches or, or like cell church cell planted planting churches that they're working on in just about every village. Um, there, the number of Christians is growing. Um, but the problem is, is they don't have access to God's Word in their own language. They, do, they can access it through, their mother, uh, through the national language, which is not their mother tongue, which most of them speak at least somewhat okay. Um, but what happens is you get people who, who hear the gospel, respond to the gospel, and then they go to church sometimes, and they're Christians, but they don't really know even the basics of what it really means to be a Christian. We had a lady working with us uh, who worked with us for three years. We translated the book of John. I asked her for a testimony after that, and she explained how before she joined the translation team, she was a Christian, but was like a Christian in skin only. And she really didn't understand anything about the chronology of Jesus' life from his birth to resurrection. But then after we finished going through the book of John, she truly understood why Jesus came and why he died. I mean, some of the most basic things she didn't really understand, and and she explained how much difference it made in her life. And this was great because I didn't didn't know any of this was going on behind the scenes. I'll I'll explain a little bit more in just a minute. Okay, so when we first went, yes, this is kind of what our family looked like the last time we were here um, six years ago. We first went to Malaysia. We had two kids, then we had two more. Most of that first term was spent learning the language, learning the culture, and working on building a team, because Bible translation happens in a team. you had got to work with people, because no matter how well I can learn the bongi language, I'm not going to speak it like a mother tongue speaker. So now we have basically two teams. So I work with Pastor Ray and a couple other people in the village of Limbuok. Uh They've been working mostly on the, uh, the Gospel of Matthew. And then Tipa, the daughter of the first believer... Uh, she and a few other ladies from the vi- village of Palak, so the Palak team, uh, they've been worked. They worked on uh, Jonah and Ruth and and John, and we're starting. We already got started on revising Mark, Luke, and Acts, which were the first books that were done, but they need uh, quite a bit of revision to be to be uh, more accurate, more natural for their language. And we started on Genesis. And, uh, and then hopefully we'll get working on the, uh, the epistles pretty soon. Okay, so uh, we in translation, you work as a team, and then you work in different stages. So basically what happens is the mother tongue translators, they're going to make a draft of, of a book or chapters or sections or however, however much you want to tackle at once. Um, and then as a team, you start going through it. You go through the draft this is where I come in. So I, I'm using my resources of English and Greek, and I'm, I'm, I'm exegeting. I'm trying to explain to them what it really means in the original so that their translation can be as natural and as clear and as accurate when they put it into bongi. So we're, I'm reading through what they're doing. I'm reading my exegetical resources, and then I'm saying, okay, so let's discuss this verse, because I think something's not quite right with the translation of this verse. And actually, we go verse by verse, trying to dealing with issues. I'll give you a few examples of what that's like. Uh, we get through the team check, and then we start testing it with people from the community, people who haven't been part of the team, and seeing if they're understanding what they're supposed to be understanding when they read it or listen to it. And then finally, we have a consultant check where we... Uh, translate the bongi back into either english or malay and somebody who speaks english or malay the national language can then read it and make comments and then meet together uh, with the team other members of the community and the consultant to sort of do a final final quality control track so once you've gone through all that basically you're ready to publish so Uh, While working on Matthew and John, we'd finished Ruth and Jonah, went through the consultant check of Jonah. That was February of 2020. We also had just finished the construction of a new translation office. So that was sort of the high water mark. We were excited. We're moving forward with momentum. And if anybody is paying attention to that date, February 2020, you know what happened after that. Things came to a screeching halt. Uh, now, thank God for the last couple years, the last two years we were there, um, our project didn't completely stop. There were a few other projects where the, tra- like the translator had no access to the people group. They didn't have electricity. They didn't have internet connection. So there was really no way to keep going. Thankfully out there, at least on part of the island, so where we built the office, we had a data cell signal that was strong enough that we could install Zoom on the computer's Teach them how to log in. Teach them how to share the screen with me. So if I'm in the city, I could get on the computer. They could share their screen. We could discuss. They could make changes. I can see what they're doing. I can look at my stuff. And the work continued. It it slowed down drastically. Uh, we felt like it felt like we were starting having to swim upstream. The last two years of the pandemic, I got to the uh, beginning of last year, felt uh, tired. Overwhelmed and really burned out, and when we uh, we came back here late last year, so now uh, time in the United States has been an encouragement we 're looking forward to going back um, and moving forward with the translation so here's, uh here 's Tipa and Kenning, the lady next to her is the one that uh, shared the testimony with us so we have a we have a partner organization in the Singapore that funds the project side and So every three months, I've got to write a report, and I ask the members for for testimonies that we can share. So she shared with me that testimony of how it completely, I mean, how how much her faith grew because she really didn't know anything before she joined the team. So this was, she joined the team in 2019. We didn't know her really well before she joined the team. We didn't get to know her that much during the last three years, partly because uh, she's a very quiet person. So even when the team meets together, she didn't talk all that much, didn't really have any personal conversations with her. And then, of course, during the pandemic, uh, if we met at all, it's over a screen, so a lot less personal inactivity. So we didn't really get to know her. I read her testimony, and I knew nothing. And I got to read that testimony in April of last year when I was probably at my, my darkest moment. The, 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 I was feeling the, the the most tired, the most discouraged, just about how the la- things had gone for the last two years, and wondering: Is anything actually happening? Is God actually doing anything through all this work? We hadn't had we had a two years where we hadn't really been able to interact a lot with the community, so we weren't seeing what we were translating being put into anybody's hands. Were they reading it? Is actually anything happening? And then I got to see this testimony: somebody on our very own team telling me how much working with God's word every day has changed her life, how she wasn't really attending church regularly. Now she's attending regularly. Her, she, her husband, who was not a believer, is now going to church regularly and is a believer now as well with her. Other family members have started coming. She's become someone who cares much more about the problems of others, much more compassionate. And I didn't know any of this. And it was like God saying, you know, pulling back a veil a little bit and saying, just because you don't see what I'm doing doesn't mean I'm not working. And what a powerful reminder that was for me at that moment. So we now have the translation office, and we just finished early last year uh, an extension, which is going to be our family's house for when we go back. We had hoped to have it done much earlier, like in 2020. It took a lot longer. Everything takes longer. Um, But now we have a house to go back to, so we we should be able to spend a lot more time. Uh, We're really hoping that the speed of the translation work is able to go much faster when we return with less restrictions, less pandemics, we hope. Okay, so let me me tell you just a little bit about... like, what it looks like when we're sitting down together with the translation team. And we're we're going to look at a few verses, and this will kind of take us into a short message that I'll close with. Okay, so um, here's an example. So Matthew 28, 3. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. So uh, just as a reminder, Malaysia's in the tropics. We're about five degrees above the equator. Can anybody guess what word we might have had challenge translating in this verse you guys are very smart snow see they don't get weather like here where you get a week of summer in april and then overnight it goes back to winter because i think we're supposed to get snow tonight or tomorrow morning or something it's like yeah that doesn't happen over there uh there the weather's very consistent it's almost always hot and humid even when it's not hot and humid it's hot and humid Uh, So they don't have a word for snow in their language. It just doesn't exist. Uh, There is a word for snow in the national language, Malay, but even that is a borrowed word from Arabic. So, okay, so, all right, this is is not a super important word in this verse, but here we have a metaphor. And actually, these kind of um, figurative language is often the most difficult to translate. It's hard, hard to get it to come across. But you don't want to. You you want to find something that captures some of the emotion because a metaphors, figurative language, you know, it it's it gives you more than the meaning itself. We we use this in our speech all the time because it's it's like adding color, right? You 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 feel words, not just hear them when you when you speak when in uh, in idioms and phrases and and sayings and metaphors, right? So that's that's every language has these. Okay, so one option we had was well, we can just borrow the word from Malay, salji, you know, and then because they would have they would have heard the word, they would know what it means, but they don't really know what snow is, right? They know it. They have this theoretical understanding of something that they've never really seen, never experienced. So his appearance was like lightning, his clothes were as white as snow. Using that borrowed word would sound kind of like his clothes were white as something white. It just doesn't quite work. So in this verse, we actually decided to find a metaphor that fit. Um, we found an interesting word, too, uh, and I didn't even know it existed in English. So palm pith is like the, uh, the, 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 the marrow of a palm tree. It's white, it's flaky, it's actually edible, uh, and it, so that's something that they had a word for. Uh, so we decided to use that. Um, so this is the back translation of Matthew 28.3. The angel's appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white, just like palm pith. And then we added a footnote that in in the original, in Greek, the word is salji, right? So those that there can, they want to know what's actually in the original language, they can see it. So that's, that's how we treated Matthew 28.3. Uh, here's a, here's another verse we had some issues with Matthew 28:16 also very figurative language. I am sending you out like sheep surrounded by wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. All right, actually we had uh, I could preach a whole sermon on this verse too because of all the different issues we had in this verse, but just we'll just pick one. Serpents. All right, so here in this we're doing something where we're anthropomorphizing or personalizing these animals. Right, You're giving them human characteristics. Snakes are wise, or cunning, or clever. Uh, well, in Bongi, yeah, sure they do the same thing. They've got their stories. They they do they they can give human characteristics to animals, but um, not 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 wise to serpents. So one of the first conversations we had with the translator before we even translated this verse, we mentioned the verse, and he goes, "Yeah, never really understood that verse. I don't like to preach about it because you know, well, like." Why does Jesus call serpents wise? They're dumb, you know. So when we got to this verse, I knew we were going to have an issue, and we talked about it for a while. Um, and so we also looked at some of their stories, and they have this animal here. This is called a mouse deer. It's the smallest deer family animal in the world, uh, and in all their folk tales, the mouse deer is the sneaky, clever one right? It, it, because he's the smallest animal, he's, he has to know how to get out of danger or out of tricky situations. So I can tell you a really quick story. Um, there, there, one of their stories, the mouse deer falls into a well, an old well, abandoned well, so it's, and it's all mud on the sides. He can't climb out and doesn't know what he's going to do. So uh, a, uh, what, a, a, um, a, uh, what was coming by? A buffalo, yes, yeah, so a water buffalo is coming by, and, and he sees, the buffalo sees him in there, and he goes, what are you doing? And he says, well, I'm eating earth liver. There's the like, earth liver? Is that good? And he's like, oh, it's delicious. You should come down and try it. So the buffalo jumps in and starts eating the dirt, and he's like, this isn't good. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. You don't like it. I like it. I think it's great. And then now the buffalo is trapped and is getting angry. And then, well, then a, then a deer comes by, a full big deer, and he says, what are you doing? I was, we're, eating, we're eating earth liver. Earth liver, Yeah, you never tried it? You should hop down in and try it. So the deer jumps down, same thing. Finally, a goat, same thing. And now they're all mad at the mouse deer because they're all trapped and they don't like it. He said, well, I didn't know you weren't going to like it. How was I going to know? All right, so I got an idea, though. We can all get out. So what if the deer gets on top of the buffalo, the goat gets on top of the the deer, I climb out, and and then I can get help. And so that's what he does. They all stack up on top of each other. He jumps out of the well and runs away because he's the sneaky... Uh, he's the sneaky mouse deer. Right? He he um he knows how to get out of trouble and, and using deception to do it, which is kind of similar to the serpent, right? And in the context of the verse, Jesus is he's he's emphasizing how the the danger that we're in, right? You're I'm sending out like sheep surrounded by wolves, so be wise as serpents. Be clever at getting out of dangerous situations, but don't harm others in the process. Don't don't, uh, don't leave them trapped down in a well or don't bite them with your venom to do it. Okay, so uh, we, d- we discussed, do we actually use mouse deer? And we, we talk about it as a team. And, and actually, I leave these decisions up to the Bongi team ultimately. I'll give my, my two cents as often as it's appropriate. But one of the issues we had with actually changing the words in the translation is there are no mouse deer in Israel. So we didn't want the translation to... We wanted the translation to be historically accurate, if possible. Uh, So they said, well, maybe let's just keep the words this time the same, and then we'll add the footnote offering additional explanation instead of the other way around. So this time, we actually had a translation that uh, reads, I'm sending you out as sheep goats in the midst of wild dogs. You must be clever like snakes and straight-hearted, honest or blameless, like doves. And then we added a footnote... Explaining how these, like a a, a snake in in uh, Jesus' culture, would be similar to a mouse deer in Bongi culture. So that's that's how he handled Matthew ten sixteen, Matthew nine ten. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. So there's a couple in here. I'm just going to mention one. Uh, to, to explain that, you know what, we actually do this in our English Bibles as well. We do have to sometimes change words, add words, to make sure that the meaning is actually the same. So in Greek, it literally just says, and as Jesus reclined in the house. Now, if I said to you, Jesus was reclining in the house, what do you think Jesus is doing? Sleeping, resting, watching TV? No, no. Um, uh, but he's—you wouldn't think eating, would you? No, because we don't recline at a table; we sit at a table. But they would recline. This word sort of had a—the it, it, the core meaning of the word in Greek is to re- recline, to lay down. But it took on another meaning of to eat, right? To sit at the table. So uh, this is the the ESV, and they actually added that at table in the translation. There's no at table in the Greek, but now it's clear, oh, they're, you know, they're they're eating. Other translations, I think, just put, and as Jesus was eating in the house, and that's actually what we ended up doing in Bongi, while Jesus was eating in the house of Matthew, many uh, collectors of head money, so this was, um, they have an expression, head money, uh, which basically meant coins, right? So you have money with heads on them. Uh, And... And then it, that they don't use that to mean money or coins anymore. That means taxes. So head money has now become a, an idiom that means taxes. So collectors of head money and other despised people follow Jesus and his disciples to eat. Small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So here's the issue we had here. Uh, we have a uh, gate and road, and they're both described by very similar adjectives. Not not the same words in Greek, but they kind of mean the same thing. Um, so the word actually for gate is is actually closer to narrow. Like just it's just a straight adjective, and the word for road is actually, uh, if I don't get it wrong, it's a it's a it's a participle. It's a past passive participle used like an adjective. So Greek technical jargon but it, it if you if you tried to translate it more literally it'd be more like being made narrow or narrowing the road which but I mean it, it's 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 narrow it means the road is, is narrow and it actually again figurative language it means what does it mean the road the way to follow Jesus is is not easy it's difficult to travel right the narrow path okay so we have a word in Bongi that was works works great with gate but didn't work so good with roads. We actually were trying to, we struggled actually figuring out a way to describe road that fit the right image, that fit the right imagination of a way that was difficult to travel. And still we started thinking about, well, the ways of travel, the roads, the paths in Bongi Island are often, you know, just jungle paths. And one that is, what is one that is easy? Because it's been widened right? It's, someone's gone through with their machete and cleared it all out. One that's difficult is one that hasn't been cleaned recently, and it's overgrown. So we ended up translating it. The gate that leads to life forever and ever is narrow, and the way that leads there is overgrown, and not many people find it and follow there. And here's a picture of a trail that comes out right by our house. And I enjoyed it when we when we came to this conclusion because it gave me a fresh image of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. So I got to see something else in the image that this verse presents and I got to think about these trails that I've tried following and sometimes especially for somebody of my size um, these these jungle paths are not always easy to follow. You know I'm ducking under branches and I'm there's thorns reaching out and grabbing me and thinking, yeah, Jesus, following Jesus can be like following a jungle trail that's overgrown. All right, Matthew one nineteen. This is the last example I'm going to give for today. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So the biggest issue we had in translating this verse was the word "just." Uh, in some translations, it reads uh, "righteous." Um, so we had to look look into the Greek. Okay, here's the word. I'm not going to give you. I'm not. I'm not going to overwhelm you. I hope with. Uh, Linguistic and Greek jargon, but this one, this one's important. So, dikaios is the word. Okay, so dikaios is a word that can be translated and often is translated, depending on the context, as either just or righteous. And sometimes you have a verse that can be that is translated in both ways, depending on the on the on the translation on the version. Okay, so remember, there's just one word here in in Greek. It's dikaios. All right, and it's describing Joseph. Well. There is nothing that's quite an appropriate parallel in bongi. So we really had to unpack this word a little bit to understand what it means. Uh, So, and it's, the more we unpacked it, the more we realized this word has a lot to it. But at its core, dikaios is, is, is connected to the law, right? So basically, if you are dikaios, you are somebody with right standing under the law. You're innocent, you're blameless. You're not guilty of anything. You follow the law, all right? So someone who obeys the law, has right standing under the law, they're not guilty of anything, they're not under any condemnation under the law, is, is dikaios. Now, because the law in Israel functions uh, more broadly than, say, the law today, it, it, it goes a little bit further, right? Because the law governed uh, everything, including, including their, their worship, right? That was also about the law, So somebody who has right standing under the law is also worshiping properly. So they have right standing before God. Right? And that's where you get sort of that dual concept of just and righteous coming from one word. Because in English, we, we, we kind of separate those notions a little bit. The law in our modern day context isn't directly connected to worship. But if you have right standing before God, you're righteous. Right standing before the law, you're just. Right, so here in 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 uh, in this word "dikaios," you kind of have both of those. Uh, but you know, people use words in new contexts and word meanings. The, like the range of meaning keeps growing, and so you have a word here that's actually used to apply to people uh, in in sometimes fresh ways. So you have you, so that that person is dikaios. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, he's dikaios. Uh, you would get it. Used about somebody, and it basically means, well, he's he's a good guy, right? He's he's a morally upright person, all right. Uh, and and that's that's a very common way that the word was used in Jesus's time. Um, so in uh, in our translation possibilities, we had Joseph being a man who follows the law, obeys the law. That was sort of a that was, the, that was the first translation we had. That was in our draft. And then we, you know, unpacking it, we thought, okay, well, you know, Joseph being a good man, but, you know, okay, it is still more than good man. Is there, some, is there a word or expression that is bigger, deeper than just the word good, right? That, that morally upright person. Uh, we had to think about what does that mean in bongi context. So in bongi context, uh, there, there was an expression, that somebody who is intimpad guagun. Somebody who's intimpad guagun. It literally means straight-hearted. Someone who is straight-hearted is a good person, an upright, morally per- person, in particularly in the way that they speak. So it has a lot to do with how you talk to other people. Um, they don't lie. They don't cheat. Um, uh, they keep their word. There's somebody who who... Uh, walks the uh, who, who yeah uh, walks the talk right that that's that's what this word kind of means It's someone who you can trust because you know if they say it they're going to mean it and they're not they're not going to they're not going to get angry and shame you big that's a big deal do you in, if you get angry do you do you shame other people with your words no they're they're not going to they're not going to hurt you they're going to stab you with their words right so there's that's that's an intipad person. Okay, there's somebody who is a good, upright person in the bongi community. So we we're looking at these two possibilities and wondering how, which is the, mo- which is the most accurate, which is the most uh, natural and, and clear in uh, Matthew chapter 1. Which one describes the context of it being used about Joseph the best? And ultimately, we came to the conclusion that we wanted to use in Timpad because... Matthew 1.19 is a really interesting verse. It's talking about Joseph being a just man. And because he is a just man, so there's, a, there's a causal relationship here with the next clause. He wanted to put uh, Mary, his betrothed, away secretly so that she wouldn't be humiliated in, front of, in, in public. So why did he want to do that? Well, he just found out that she's pregnant. So he thinks that she has cheated on him. That's, that's the state of mind he's in. but he, and, and, and also the law has specific requirements here. The law is actually what allows him to put her away. You, you enter into a legally binding contract at betrothal, at your engagement in society at that time. And if you want to break it off, you still have to go through the legal process. And he had cause. She's pregnant. He knows it wasn't him. She's cheated on him. So he has cause to divorce her. That's the law. So, under the law, the requirements of the law, he can divorce her and he should divorce her. The law doesn't actually say anything about how or the manner. But Joseph, because he was a godly man, goes above and beyond what the law actually requires. And he wants to put her away secretly. He doesn't want her to cause her uh, public humiliation. And it's because of that that the writer of Matthew actually calls him dikaios. Not because he followed the letter of the law, but because he actually went above and beyond the law and applied the law with love and compassion. Says he says, that, that's, a, that's a righteous dude. That's a dikaios guy because he... He's obeying the law, but he wants to do it in a way that actually shows mercy and compassion to Mary. So we thought, okay, in Timpad here is actually better because if we translate it with being a man who follows the law, the letter of the law, well, um, he he didn't have to actually put her away secretly. It's almost, it almost like you need a butt there. Joseph, a guy who, who follows the law, but he didn't want to shame her. And that, that there's no contrast between him being righteous and what he does next. It's actually because he's righteous that he did what he did. And this is one of those moments where, you know, I, I, I get that light bulb popping on or some, something profound affects me in my journey as a translator. This is, this is one of the things I like about being able to do this job is you're digging into a verse and suddenly you're like, oh, okay, I'm seeing something I never saw before. And, it, and 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 let me see okay this word righteous now i understand it better but now these two translation possibilities also kind of show us two different two different kinds of people really two different kinds of people who call themselves followers of god you've got those who are righteous you've got the dikaios who are like joseph who who live righteously but they do it in a way that actually sh- the, the, at the, the utmost is their their compassion and their love for other people and then you've got others who, who follow the letter of the law, and that's what's most important, and it doesn't really matter how it affects others. Right? And you get, so you get, you get those who are truly righteous, and you get those who are what we say in English is self-righteous. And as I thought about this more, I realized, yeah, the, and the, the, the way this word dikaios is actually used in Scripture, we see both of these. Quite clearly. First of all, here in Matthew 1, it's used about Joseph being a righteous man because he goes above and beyond. He doesn't just follow the letter of the law, he actually shows the heart of God. Um, but then we see that sort of self righteous usage, especially by Jesus. I'll, I'll give you one example in Matthew 9, uh, verses 9 through 13. Jesus passed on from there he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth and he said to him follow me and he rose and followed him and as jesus reclined at table in the house behold many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with jesus and his disciples and when the disciple and when the pharisees saw this they said to his disciples why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners see they're standing out there now these are people who follow the law very carefully they're righteous in that sense. But they're standing out there going, what's he doing? Why is he eating with these tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus heard it and he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call thee dekaios, the righteous, but sinners. He has no interest in those who are self-righteous and think that they don't need him. Same thing in Matthew or in Luke chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. He receives these people that we have deemed unworthy. We have decided that they don't belong in our society. They are the outcasts. They are to the despised and he eats with them? Shame. He shows them kindness. He treats them as human beings. We shouldn't be doing that. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 decaios people who need no repentance. See, here we have it. Um, God loves repented sinners. God loves finding those who are strayed. And he says that when, when he finds that one, one person who was lost and brings them back, all of heaven rejoices so much more than anyone who is self-righteous. So we are the lost sheep, right? We have been found. We, when we believed in Jesus Christ... We caused rejoicing in heaven. Do you ever think about that? When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, all of heaven rejoiced over you. How great is that? And now God sees you and has declared you righteous. So here's this word is very important again, right? We are now made righteous before God. We have right standing. We stand blameless, and justified before the law and before God. Why? Because now we're good people. Because now we don't make mistakes. No. But because Jesus' sacrifice, his righteousness covers us. When God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of our Savior. He doesn't see the unrighteousness of us. We are covered. We have been made righteous and we can stand blameless with confidence before God. We can call out to him. We can pray to him. We can ask him. We can praise him. And he listens to us because he sees righteousness. Righteousness that we've been given by God. So the right attitude then is to turn around and look at the people around us. And learn the words of Jesus when he says in Matthew, go and learn. This is what I want. I want mercy, not sacrifice. I want compassion and love, not, not getting everything right and doing everything right and crossing all your T's and dotting all your I's. No, I want mercy. I want compassion. I want love. That's love. That's mercy for the other members of, of your congregation who you don't think are doing things the way you're supposed, they're supposed to, who are uh, upsetting you or annoying you in some way. It's your neighbor who isn't a Christian. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's your neighbor who is um, uh, maybe a, a follower of a different religion or an atheist. It's your neighbor who's a single mom. It's your maybe, maybe who's had an abortion. It's your neighbor who isn't voting the way you think they should be voting right? It's, it's, uh, it, it's the people who, who don't measure up, who are unworthy, who are despised for some reason. It, to those people as well, Jesus is saying, go and learn what this means. I want mercy, not sacrifice. When we live that way, then we are being dikaios. We are being righteous, following the righteousness of Joseph. If we think about it, God chose to be the fatherly, earthly example for his son. That was the kind of man, the man that had that kind of righteousness. Jesus grew up looking at that example, and it's the exact same kind of righteousness that Jesus showed. He always had compassion. He always saw people's humanity. He always could see people's pain and suffering and he reached out to them. The only people he had any kind of harshness for were self-righteous people. So let's learn to be righteous like Joseph was righteous. Let's learn to have the righteousness that was modeled for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the righteousness that Jesus himself had if we want to be his followers. Let's learn that. Let me pray. Father God, Thank you for making us us righteous. Thank you, Lord, that you don't look at us and see all our unworthiness, all our sin, all our failures and all our faults, but you look at us and you see the perfection of your son, Jesus Christ, who died in our place. And that with that covering, we can stand before you boldly and worship you. Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts, that you would give us your love and compassion for everyone else, that we wouldn't ever forget who we are, where we came from, and how we're able to stand before you. And we'd treat everyone else with the same love that you treat us. Lord, help us to learn what you you meant when you said, go and learn. This is what I want. I want mercy, not sacrifice. Thank you for calling sinners. Thank you for coming and calling us to serve you and follow you. And I ask that you bless everyone here in this church now, Lord, to be model followers of you, Lord, that they would... Show the world a good example of what it means to follow you, Lord, and I ask your blessing upon me and my family as well as we seek to serve you back in Malaysia, that you give us grace to do so. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.